Greetings and salutations, pals, and welcome back to another edition of the Comics Pals Book Club. I'm your host this month, Mr. Peter and Bessie, joined by my pals in podcasting, Mr. Sean Bartley. Hello, hello. Mr. Phil Casey. You mixed up your your intro. It threw what, me what off you guard. You usually do the what's up internet thing. That's, That's like, on the video game, pals. This is a more laid-back show. This is kind of how I used to do on the Riverdale Review. Oh, we'll I see, see how laid-back it is in about 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and then also joining us today, Mr. Marco Kunalata. Kawhi! Oh, my God. It's, it's Marco Kawhi. Come on. <laughs> uh, I'll give it to him. Marco's Kawhi. Uh, he's, he's, he's also a lot of other things, but he's quiet. That's, that's <laughs> fair. That's fair. So, uh, as, as we're wont to do, we're back this month to talk about another comic book. This month, our selection is Venom, Lethal Protector in honor of the Venom film, which is coming out, um, in just a few short days. So, uh, we'll have to see if I have to eat crow on the comics pals proper. But before then, we decided we would do, uh, a, a little, Look back at Venom's first solo series, uh, written by David Michelin, who, uh, had a, you know, a, a extremely long run on Amazing Spider-Man, um, with a number of different artists, but the first couple kind of held down by Mark Bagley, um, and obviously a, uh, a really prolific run for Venom as far as Venom runs go. Uh, so we knew that this one was going to be a huge influence on the upcoming film, so we decided, uh, this would be, this would be a great one to jump into for this month's book club. So, uh, hopefully you've all read it, because we're gonna spoil the hell out of the thing, but, uh, just kicking it off before we get into some of my guided points, I wanted to just start with overall reactions to the book, and, uh, you know, if you, if you'd read it before or whatnot, um, Marco, since you hate huh? superheroes, why don't you start? Huh? Um, Steal my so, thing, will you? <laughs> so this is actually my first Venom story. Um, Not a bad one to pick for your first. Yeah, it was fun. I thought that sort of going into it, I wasn't going to like it. I kind of already came in with that mindset just because I have very limited knowledge of what Venom is and him as a character and or put because another way, that, your natural prejudices. My, yeah, my natural prejudices. Um, but I think it exceeded my expectations a little more than I thought it would. And um, it, I, I, this was good for like a one-and-done tale. And I think that this is this was enough for me to enjoy, but not enough for me to want to come back clamoring for anything else. <laughs> In life. <laughs> your, your passions are gone uh, Phil what about you well the reason why Pete mentioned eating crow for those of you who haven't been listening Pete has been outspokenly opposed to this movie for a year and the rest of us are a, a different range of enthusiastic from mildly enthusiastic to very enthusiastic Pete's the only one who's adamantly very negative about this Hey Phil, it's really cool you're talking about the Venom movie, but what about the Venom? I just book want that people to know why you're going to be wrong. Is the thing. <laughs> okay. See, but they they would have had to go listen to the show now, so you ruined my my cross marketing plug. Why don't you let me host the show? You talk about the book. I listen. You can't tell me what to do on this show, but I'm still going to tell you what I thought of it. Okay. <laughs> um, I thought this was the most '90s experience that I've had in a long time. And that was without watching Slime Time live on Nickelodeon or Johnny Bravo on Cartoon <laughs> Network or drinking out of one of those neon-colored uh, mall cups. Um, it was like a Saturday morning cartoon with a little more violence, such as Venom killing a guy by putting his tendrils and shit down someone's throat. Um, it was fun. It was very stupid. And I had no problem <laughs> with that. Um... It was, it was also very uh, 90s in that the art was fantastic. Uh, one thing that I think that defined early 90s Marvel is that the art was very good, including the splash pages. There's a lot of mm -hmm. guff giving to uh, image comics for a lack of uh, written quality as opposed to the visual quality. But I don't think that was too different from early 90s Marvel either, which makes sense because a lot of those image guys came from early 90s Marvel. Um, I will also say this. This book makes Venom 
one of the most aesthetically interesting looking characters in I think any comic book ever. Um, he's just really distinct and he's so animated that you can make him look at any variety of different ways. And I think the creative art team, whether it was, uh, we have two different pencilers here, whether it was, uh, Lon Lim and Mark Bagley. Yeah. Uh, they both made him yeah, very and animated. Later on, um, <clears throat> later on they have, uh, Sam De La Rosa and, and Ron Lim, like, double-taking it at some parts. There's one, it's a couple of the issues where Lim's doing, like, the base, and then he did, uh, De La Rosa did extra stuff over top, and then did colors or inks. So, yeah. It's, like, um, shifting up a lot, but. It was a, it was a, it was a real early 90s Marvel comic, and I'm not prejudiced to that. I'm like some people on this podcast. Um, Whoa! <laughs> I didn't say any names. Um. <laughs> and I enjoyed reading it, and I certainly am excited to see this uh, loosely adapted into a major motion picture, where it will feature Sony's universe featuring Marvel comic book characters, or whatever it is they're calling it. <laughs> or whatever it is. Uh, they're calling Sean, it something what about like you? that. Yeah. Uh, I actually had not read this book. I'd been really, really looking forward to reading it for years, because... I knew that it was the inspiration behind a very classic, in my mind, video game called mm. Spider-Man and Venom Separation Anxiety that was a game on the Sega oh. uh, that oh. I've played a million times. So in that game, you, you have the Life Foundation, you have the Diggers, you have the, the Symbiote Children and all that jazz, the, the jury, um, and I thought because the game was so jam-packed with all of that but it cuts out the story for the most part i thought that would mean that the book would kind of fill in the details in a big way on <laughs> story elements and that is uh, <laughs> not true but that being said there it's, it's pretty zany it's pretty wild very very much a 90s comic uh, an early 90s comic, and um, I appreciated it for what it is, for what it's supposed to be. Yeah, I would say I, I echo that sentiment a lot. Um, I think there are a lot of things you can razz this book about, um, and I'm sure we'll get into some of those things, but by and large, um, you know, this is a, a Marvel I have a really soft spot for. You know, the late or mid to late 80s, early 90s stuff is... Uh, was definitely a big part of my formative, like, Marvel experience. So, like, this is about, you know, um, this is definitely, like, my era of Spider-Man. So I I have a soft spot for it, and I think a lot of the things about it that are a little, like, silly, um, I, I, I think Phil's comparison to, like, a Saturday morning cartoon is very apt. Like, I think this is a fun read. This might it's have, not... This might have been the first book I ever read, first comic book. Really, my brother had all six issues because he uh, he read this when he was a teenager, and I think this might have been the first comic book series I read beginning to end. Huh. Wow, that's crazy! Yeah, um, yeah. For me, I I think I was mentioning it to Sean and, and Marco off mic. I, I think the last time I read this book was when I was sixteen, and it was like after I had gotten into um, Michelin's like run on on ASM and uh, like wanted more of that so i, I kind of was seeking out what other spidey stuff had been done um by him and this was one of the things that came up uh so yeah there was a lot of elements to it that i had kind of forgotten like i had forgotten that there were so many weird plot threads that kind of come together <laughs> to tell this one thing uh really for no reason but uh at, at the end of the day th this is a book i definitely have like a nostalgic spot soft spot for but i think that um aside from that like Th this is the kind of book I think of when I think of, like, meat and potatoes comics, right? Like, a nice little miniseries where the stakes are low and, you know, it's nothing revelatory, but it's a good time. You talk about how this is, like, meat and potatoes Marvel. I looked up David Michelinie because I was like, what else did you do? I don't remember. And he he was the uh, person that uh, created Iron Man's alcoholism. He created Jim uh, James Rhodes. And, uh, from what I read, he created Carnage. Huh. Yeah. So, there you go. Well, and, yeah, and, and he was the writer during Venom's introduction as well on ASM. So that's cool. Um. He did quite a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I, like, he's definitely, 
w- w- me at at sixteen, like he was the guy. Oh wow! You know? Okay. Um. So so it was cool to revisit revisit this book for the first time in quite some time. Uh, and like you said, I think the art is definitely a standout thing about it. I love this era of uh, of of comics, especially for from from Marvel's camp. So, but we'll we'll get into more of that later. So let, let's get into uh, kind of talking about the story itself of Lethal Protector. Um, so just the broad strokes of it are, you know, Venom has made his return to San Francisco, which is his hometown, to kind of get a fresh start after uh, Spider-Man helped him save his ex-wife. And the two of them kind of have agreed upon a truce that, you know, you don't go after me and I won't go after you. And, and that'll be that, right? There's this almost begrudging respect kind of formed between them. And then that's that. Um, but he ends up on the news because he gets kind of tangled up in this local spat between a group of homeless people who are living in a part of San Francisco that is, uh, kind of underground after this, the great earthquake of 1908 and <laughs> the city's totally intact. It's this, you know, uh, Phil, did you want to comment on that? Well, next time I go to San Francisco, Pete, it made me realize I need to go visit the famed underground city of San Francisco. <laughs> Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, right. There's this entire city underground that's basically totally fine. And, you know, all these homeless people have made their own society there. Uh, but um, there is a, a businessman, Roland Treese, who is the head of uh, his own, like, you know, company. He's a member of the Life Foundation. He ends up learning by acquiring this map uh, that there was gold sent by a, quote, foreign power uh, who was seeking to destabilize the United States and uh, by financing a group of anarchists and taking over. But the earthquake happened, so the gold gets stuck underground and everyone who knew about it conveniently died. <laughs> it's, so, a, it's a new kind of California gold rush. Exactly. So, uh... Treese finds this map, he figures out what's going on, he uh, ends up setting up this fake front where he's going to be rebuilding a park for the city for free, so that he can have these crazy robots that he built that he probably spent a lot of this gold money on uh, <laughs> to, go, to go underground and try to find out where these vagrants are and kill them, but also find the gold, and so there's all, all this stuff going on, and he's freaked out because the gold is technically on city property, and if any of the vagrants go out and tell anybody that, he loses his claim to the gold, so he wants to wipe them all out, right? And that's kind of the broad framing for the story, uh, but it, it gets kind of just increasingly more complicated. Like, Venom ends up on the news, so Spider-Man's there, and this whole subplot of Spider-Man chasing him down so that he can play a role in the story goes on. And then there's the introduction of a character named Orwell Taylor, who's the father of a prison guard that was the first guy that Brock killed when he tried to escape the vault as Venom. Uh, so he's got all his old friends as this, like, military group of Iron Man ripoffs set to kill Venom. It all gets very, very complicated. So uh, that was one of my big takeaways from this. Because even I, I remembered, <laughs> yeah, but that was the thing, right? Because I remember the story as being the whole thing of, oh, the Life Foundation wants to capture Venom and make the, the, the symbiote suits. But I forgot all this other shit that was involved. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding, huh? So, Phil, you'd read this before. Did you remember all no. those wrinkles? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I, 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 I read this and I'm like, what the hell is all this? Why is it's this like, important There's so many story? fucking layers to this conflict. And, like, maybe that was threaded to, like, be like, this is what, what well, well, this will be relevant later on, too, past Lethal Protector. Sure. But it really didn't contextually matter to the story. Not that much. You could have, like, no, it's boiled like, that down real easily. I, yeah, it's just like, I don't get why Orwell Taylor and, and the uh, the jury even needed to be involved. You know, it's like... I do. Uh, okay, yeah, hit us, Sean. So, they were important to the story because they needed to showcase that Venom was a redeemable character. He had guilt over what he had done in the past. Okay. Um, he He didn't want to fight those people because he felt like he was responsible. He, he was taking ownership over what he had done and felt bad That's a good about point. it. No, I know that, but my point was <laughs> they made it as convoluted as possible, the, the, the context. 
What, what's convoluted <clears throat> about that? He he killed he killed this guy's kid, so they came for revenge. I'm talking if about that, I'm talking about the gold rush earthquakes. Oh stuff. no, but that's not what Pete was talking about. Oh, I said no. Yeah, I was I was talking about like all of it. Yeah, and like I said, like I feel like these guys were unnecessary because you could have oh, just oh, had oh, it be Trees. But but you're right, Sean. Be, then Venom wouldn't have a uh, personal stake in it. I I think that like you could have easily separated that storyline from the Life Foundation storyline from the vagrant homeless underground city storyline. They could have yeah. easily been six issue arcs that are separate from each other. Yeah, which is what would have happened in a 2018 comic book. Yes. Yeah. But in the yeah. 90s, just throw all that shit together. Whatever. <laughs> whatever happens, <laughs> yeah. happens. And you you fucking sort it out, reader. <laughs> Yep. Thread it, the, thread it together the best way you can, Michelini. You're going to say his God, name differently every single time. <laughs> what? Yeah, no. Isn't it Michelin? Or is it Michelin? Like, we got to just Michelin? decide on one. Now you're saying nope, Michelini. <laughs> and a restaurant. All right. Greater. All right. I like, I like Michelin. Okay. I like that, too. So we'll go with Michelin. Um, Sorry okay. if that's wrong. <laughs> Sorry, Dave. <laughs> uh, but one other little just bit about the jury, because um, because I, I don't know about you guys. I know like a lot of times we like to talk about like the characters, but for me, I don't really feel like there's much too many of the characters aside from Venom and Spider Man. Um, and even Spider Man, the context is that he's an antagonist for Venom in this story, and not even really. Um, yeah, can we go through each of these characters and like who? Okay. <laughs> But like, who who even are they? This is like, not who's Spider Man. This is not a Marco podcast. <laughs> so I wanted to say let's I, let's not do that. But I I thought the jury was a a really just weird inclusion, just because it was funny how they were all just kind of these like knockoff like Iron Man. They're like, we've got repulsor blasts and we're gonna fuck up Venom, and then like they just all have these like generic ass names, except for uh, I, I had forgotten that one of them was called Sentry. Yes. Yeah, like, did yeah, you guys yeah. did you guys catch that? Yo, yes, of course. He's my favorite. What he, was that? In, in the so in the old uh <laughs> Spider-Man Venom game, yeah. randomly when you beat a level, he would just grab you. Like he would just he would just fly across the screen, you can't do anything about it, and he would grab you and he would take you to a facility where you're chained up and you break what? out and then at the end of the level you fight him. And you beat him, but then he comes and does it to you again later on in the game. He just keeps <laughs> doing it over and over again. So when I saw him here, I was just like, oh, that's my guy. He didn't even have a name in the, in the video game. <laughs> now I know he's Sentry. This motherfucker. Yeah. I had to, like, double check. I was like, this isn't, this isn't these. Like, this is just <laughs> an unfortunate coincidence, right? I was like, yeah. there's no way that, like, the Sentry, like, was introduced here and then got, like, like a Groot situation, you know, where he was just, like, a throwaway character and then they're like, oh, no, now he's a big deal in, like, 2003. I was like, please tell me I didn't miss this listen, for the last 10 years. <laughs> listen, I was on Wikipedia reading about comic book characters every single day in the eighth grade, right? And... I wanted to learn as much about the Sentry as I could because that was around the time uh, New Avengers came out, and I got redirected to that guy pretty damn often, okay? <laughs> I, I'm aware. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> uh, and then just kind of like the last like wrinkle in here is when, when we finally get that, you know, the reveal of what's actually going on, right? We learn about all the gold and everything like that, and uh, Treese gets... Uh, Carlton Drake, who's the head of the Life Foundation involved, and that's when we figure out the whole angle of they want to take the symbiote and create these offspring and then use them as security guards for their crazy future village in the event of an apocalypse because there wasn't a less crazy scenario they could come up with than that. <laughs> so, uh, there's you know, these five symbiotes, then Spidey and Venom gotta fight them, fight uh, team up to fight them, right? Which you know, not like we haven't seen that before. Um, but there was one moment in this that I, it was just kind of like a, a plot hole that I hadn't noticed as a kid that I'm like, I can't believe an editor didn't catch. Did you guys catch the moment where the, there's like the thing where Spider-Man sees the one Venom face and then he's like, oh no, it's the five Venoms or whatever. He straight up says, oh, it's my spider sense. It's these five Venoms. And then two pages later, he's like, oh, my spider sense doesn't work on these guys. Oh, yeah. It's just like Venom. <laughs> <laughs> 
What? What? Wasn't the door open? Wasn't like the door opening he, like, or something? He like looked through the darkness. To... Yeah, the door's open, and he like looks through the darkness and sees the face. But he does say, "Oh, my spider sense," and then does that. And I was just like, "What the fuck?" No, like, no, 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 no. He goes, "Oh, it's venom." And then the five of them come out, and he's like, oh, no. No, he goes, he may be alive now, but uh, wait, Spider-Sense, tingling, that door, those eyes, Venom. And yeah. then they like, all jump uh, out of him. Okay, so those, those were the same moment. Okay. Yeah, I guess so you're only, right. I guess maybe the, the door opening could have triggered it. That was what I but, thought when I read it. Like, it was the door opening that he was reacting to. Because he does say the door. Yeah. But I did, I did think that was funny that just literally two pages later, he's like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> well, his spider sense might pick up eyes now, too. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, so what do you guys think about, about this, this gaggle of, of unnamed, like, Venom clones? Like, I thought it was pretty funny that they don't even, like, give them names. They're just like, they're just... They got names just, later <laughs> in comics. They're Venoms. I got was... later on in a different storyline, right? Yeah. That was the most disappointing part of the whole book for me because I was really anticipating seeing them come out, and I didn't realize that they they were just throwaway characters uh, in their first appearance. I really was hoping that they'd have names and personalities and stuff, and that it would be a big deal. But they get dispatched so easily, and on top of that, they don't have names. I think these characters are. I mean, look, they're they're symbiotes, right? They're played out at this point, but to me, especially because I have a connection with these characters from the old game, I know who they are, and I'm like, oh man, I can't wait for this, and then nothing happens. It was kind of, uh, you know, a disappointment. Do they have names in the game? Yeah, they do. That's what's weird, too. Well, eventually in the comics, they do. They're eventually known as uh, Scream, Agony, Riot, Riot, Lasher, Sentry, and Phage. Phage, yeah, yeah. There you go, folks. I can't believe you were able to remember all that. <laughs> like, all off the top of his head? Yeah, I'm pretty impressed. So, yeah, I, I think, to me, that was, I think, the the biggest failing of this story is that I just don't, like, every character that isn't Venom or Spider-Man, because we already know Spider-Man, is, like, paper thin. You know, like the like the other group of the the jury, they get names at least, but like they all appear in like one or two scenes, and every time it's like they fuck up Venom, and then he runs away, and okay, right, and then the vet the symbiotes, which are supposed to be so badass or whatever, but you know, Spider Man and Venom clean their fucking clocks real quickly, and you know, both of the um, you know, both Carlton Drake and um, and Roland Treese are both kind of generic, you know, just listen, CEO type bad guys. Listen, you know? it's an old school comic book where it's a team up, the villains get their uh, butts handed to them and everyone goes home happy for the day. Mm-hmm. So the the team up, did you guys feel it was necessary? Because I yes, felt like you're selling comics, that's why it happened. No, t- totally, but for the story though, like I, I, th- there was a point where I was like, I like that Spider-Man's here, but I don't think that he's necessary to this story or uh like his subplot i don't think needed to be included or addressed and i know we sort of called out that like earlier you're just gonna mash all that shit together but still i think if anything i don't think his presence was necessary it wasn't necessary from a plot standpoint i agree it's he's clearly there just because he's the most popular 90s comic book character See, I, I disagree with even that. I actually think that within the context of what was actually happening in Spider-Man comics at the time, it makes a lot more sense. Oh, that's probably so true, too. Cons- yeah, when you consider that um, they like in, in comics time, he had just did the agreement with Venom that they would separate. Yeah. Also, the fact that Mary Jane was stalked and is still horrified by Venom. The fact that Spider-Man still feels like guilty that Venom is, exists and feels like he needs to take him out that weighs heavily on him so he he has to see about taking him out of the equation um and and he kind of ends up fighting that fear of Venom and accepting like oh maybe there is more to this guy than i really thought which helps 
Spider-Man as much as it does the reader. It helps us accept that he could be a heroic figure, but it also helps set Spider-Man on a different course because prior to this, he had been so focused on Venom for so long Mm -hmm. that that's just what the book was about. That's a good point, Sean, and it made me realize something about myself and Pete. I am Venom to Pete's Peter Parker. I am very antagonistic, and Pete's obsessed with me, and he will follow me all the way to the West Coast if he has to, and I'll just antagonize him and antagonize him and prod him and prod him until he just snaps, because basically he feels responsible for me. That's a very good point, Sean. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I I think just like that, too, um, I'm a really talented photographer, and you're a plagiarist, so... Listen, I was in the Olympics... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you do have the the strength of an Olympic athlete, though, so that's something. Yeah, <laughs> and I've killed people with my vomit. That's th- those are facts. These are all facts. <laughs> I'd like to see that. <laughs> Marco, come over here. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, I think uh, to to Sean's point, right? The idea of uh. The, the necessity of Spider-Man being included to sell the reader on the legitimacy of the idea of Venom having um, more layers to him than we'd been maybe privy to before, I think is really important. And um, I think Sean's broader point about where things were it's in Spider-Man at the time were important. Like, I don't know that Spider-Man needs to be in this story for the sake of Lethal Protector, but I think for Lethal Protector to make sense for Venom at the time and what had come before for the character, he did need to be there. He was an important linchpin for Spider-Man to sign off on. Maybe there's more to this Venom guy than I thought is the only way that you can even at that point, like accept the idea of him not being a monster. He was a murderer. Like you said, he stopped Mary Jane. Like he, he was a fucking creep and uh, accepting him as a hero. I think now is easy. Cause there's been, you know what? This came out in 1993. Three, so there's been you know d- two decades of the idea of him being kind of an anti-hero at play, but before that, it was unheard of, you know. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and I, I think similar to that, and the idea of humanizing Eddie Brock uh, is the story that we get uh, about his childhood, right. the backstory we get from his uh, from his mate, you know, basically. Uh, so Spider-Man goes and visits his father and, you know, tries to – he goes and visits him as both Peter Parker and Spider-Man and tries to shake the story loose and just kind of figure out whatever he can about Eddie to, you know, get to the root of what's going on here and, and hopefully try to find him and, and bring him to justice. Because um, at this point, he hasn't figured out Eddie's whole motivation is pure at this point. Um but he gets there, he ends up meeting with uh, this woman who's been in his father's employ since before Eddie was born, and uh, we learn the story that, you know, his father was kind of a cold man, he fell in love, uh, he, you know, his wife really wanted a family, and, you know, he wanted to give it to her, so she gets pregnant, she dies during childbirth, and then he was just very cold to Eddie for his entire childhood, uh, and despite, you know, he was not abusive, he didn't yell at him, he didn't hit him, he was just neglectful. You know, he didn't care for him. He couldn't give him the love that a kid needs. He blamed, you know, he, and Eddie's, he blamed him for sorry, his mom's death, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and or at least I think that's the implication, right? The maid says that he was closed off from caring about anybody else after that. You know, he was hurt so badly that he couldn't love anybody else again, you know? And um, so I think, yeah, that the idea of resentment is at play there probably makes sense. And, uh, you know, I think... Um, there was a particular quote I wanted to call out that I thought was important, uh, where she says, more than anything else, I think that that pushed poor Eddie toward madness. He sought his father's love, but brought him only shame. And, uh, I thought this was, to similar to Sean's point, I thought that was kind of the purpose of this, right? Was to teach you why Eddie is the way that he is, you know, why he was pushed to, uh, you know, push himself to become an uh, Olympic level athlete, why he was driven to, uh, to, to be super intelligent, you know, to why he tried to become an award-winning journalist. Um, you know, it was all to gain his father's approval. And at the end of the day, um, you know, the best that got him was, you know, more, just more of the same. And at the worst, it was, you know, dishonor and, and disownment. So what what did you guys think about this backstory? Did 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 this work for you? Like did did you find this backstory to be compelling for Venom? Yes. Uh I didn't know these things before. 
So it actually recontextualizes the character quite a bit. Like, I can understand anybody feeling really, really crappy when you're interviewing someone who you think is this murderer, uh, this, this, you know, uh, um, the Sin Eater character, and then it turns out it wasn't even them, so you become a joke. Um, but then when you when you add on the fact that he had, he had been chasing his father's approval for so many years, he thinks he's on the right path, he gets, you know, just shame out of this, and, and now he's a scumbag, and, and people treat him like trash. All right, yeah, I totally, I totally get that. I mean, I don't think it's, it's obviously not justifiable, but then also, uh, he probably wouldn't have gone on a murdering spree had he not come into contact with an alien symbiote, right? Um, right. So, that's not his fault either. And and it actually makes him a, a very sad, tragic character. I think. I think it does too. Yeah, I think it it really. Uh, I think it does a good job of of adding depth to him and 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 you portraying him as something like because I think before that, right? Like, I I remember having the attitude of just like, yeah, like Eddie's kind of crazy. Like, why is he blaming Spider Man for this? At the end of the day, it's not his fault. Like, yeah, you, in a in a twisted way, you can say it's your fucking fault because I want someone to blame, but. At the end of the day, like, you know, it was bad luck. Uh, and and I think, like, this does recontextualize that and, and, and makes you understand why the rage or the, just the pain that he felt would be – would make the symbiote drawn to him and would make the two of them come together to become what Venom is, you know? Because Spider-Man makes a comment in this book, too, where he says that the symbiote uh, was just as emotionally – uh, scarred by the emo- uh, I'm sorry, was just as scarred by the emotional rejection that Peter gave to it as much as the physical rejection of like him rejecting it as a host, and that is something where they both had that in common, right? That rejection of someone who they they wanted a connection with. I think whether yeah. it was their father or Peter. I think if this book was made into a movie in the early '90s, or if this book was around when the internet was around in the early '90s. Venom would have a massive fangirl and fanboy audience on the internet because this dude is early 90s hot with the mullet, the wife beater, and that sense of fashion. And the dude is jacked to the gills and Schwarzenegger would be jealous. And he's got that dark, broody past and he's been neglected. Every fangirl and fanboy on what would be 1993 Tumblr would be like, he's broken, but I can fix him. Do you remember that scene where uh, <clears throat> where they they think he's like unconscious and then he's they're like oh strap him down a little bit more and he's like ah he's still unconscious and then his naked fucking massive frame he <laughs> chokeholds a dude and then swings oh, around yeah. and like kicks the other one and he's just buck fucking naked and then he's just standing there just like I'm just like oh my his, god his like, muscles <laughs> are casting shadows on his other muscles that's, <laughs> yeah that's- like. Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator vibes for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, like do, do, like do, talk do, do, about do. like uh, that is like one of the 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 most um, like perfect examples of like comic books as like male power fantasy of just like oh my god this dude is a fucking ox <laughs> like holy shit like <laughs> there's there's definitely like some uh, gratuitous scene uh, there's not gratuitous but there there's a little uh, extra scenes of like. Of women bodies here, like the three panels you see Mary Jane are very, oh, uh, yeah. very revealing. Oh my god, yeah! But at the same time, there is an extremely buck naked Eddie Brock here, and he is hot <laughs> as shit by early '90s standards. Oh yeah, I mean, like I, I feel like uh, in this book, the objectification feels very like uh, equal opportunity. <laughs> it's like he is a fucking slab of beef. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, that I love that look for Mary Jane back in the '80s when they had her have that like like weird like fitness do, and she's always wearing like leg warmers and shit. Like it's the best. She's up, she's up to date on the fashion. All right, she's a model. <laughs> she was a fashion model back then. Yeah, I love her hair in this book because how do you have hair that long and that <laughs> thick and it's real like. Her hair is crazy. <laughs> Just go to that page. Her hair is down to her, her almost her butt, and it's thick and deep red. Like, what yeah. is going on with that? I love it. 
Yeah. Dude, that, that back in the day, man, she, like that must have taken her, what do you think, eight, nine bottles of hairspray? <laughs> <laughs> it's a fucking ecological disaster every time she gets ready in the morning. She was just working out, too. This isn't even like she's going anywhere. I, I, think, I think I read an article at one point that uh, at least 10% of the hole in the ozone layer has been attributed to Mary Jane's uh, hairspray. <laughs> I believe, I believe hairspray usage. Yeah. <laughs> it is very voluminous. It, it has that early 90s Jim Lee X-Men, like yeah. Jean Grey and Storm yep. kind of hair. Yep, yep. Yeah, like it reminds me of the the cover of um that you know that really famous Jean Grey cover from the Dark Phoenix where she's just her hair is like fucking flowing and she just has that intense look on her face. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I yeah, as gratuitous as her outfit was, it was it was appropriate for the year, I suppose. But uh, I did really like that shot of her where she like gets off the phone with him and she's just staring out the window. Mm-hmm. You know that that mo- that was a, a great panel. I thought Cindy Lauper hair. I had to look it up to think about it, like, but that's what they—that's what they have. Yes, that is accurate. Um, so uh, to to roll it back, we got a little off topic there. We I sure wanted did. to ask sorry. you guys. This. That's okay. That's what we're here for, right? Talk about the. I'm book. sorry. Uh, so the the question I wanted to ask you, and I'd like Marco to answer this one first. Um, does this story do a good job of making Venom sympathetic? Did you feel like the purpose of this book, right? Like, if you think about it at the time, was to sell you on the idea of Venom as a hero instead of a villain. I thought, uh, I don't know if you guys did this. I read some of the, like, letters to the, you know, editors in the back of the book and everything. Oh. And reading some of the people saying stuff like, oh, I don't know about you making him a hero. It's kind of weird, but we'll see. And, like, it was it was a... It was not a, a foregone conclusion that this was going to work at that time, right? And obviously it did. Um, the idea of Venom as an anti-hero is one that's well explored now. But d- 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 does this book sell you on that idea? You know, as, as someone who, thinking of the context of Venom as only being Spider-Man's most dominant nemesis for quite some time at that point, do you think it succeeds in its goal? Um, I definitely think it does. And, you know, being able to have that backstory kind of helps color that a lot, I think. And then there was also just a, a moment that I'm trying to find, but it's after he breaks out and uh, he's fighting with Spider-Man and he like basically tells him, you know, you go do this thing. I'll sort of handle this. And I, he, he, there was a moment where he was selfless. And I think that was a really good example of that retribution and, and sort of that change in, in character, at least in the way that you would perceive him, that I think uh, I didn't expect, and which definitely made him a lot more sympathetic. That was sort of the the turning point in the uh, in this run that was like, oh, you know, I sort of get why he's a cool character in, in this context, and uh, I think it definitely changed my opinion of him, and I think it does a, a good job of that of being and selling you on the idea that he is ultimately a good person in these sort of unusual circumstances and obviously, you know, whatever else happens. What about you, Phil? I'm glad you asked because this book made it very clear to me. (laughs) (laughs) This book made it very clear to me that a Venom solo movie will work. Yes. All right, moving right along. Sean, what did you think? Uh, (laughs) Well, uh, I... I, I kind of already spoke on this, but I I definitely think that it it, it succeeds at what it's trying to do. Uh, again, I I I am far beyond the point of of asking the question because I've grown up so long with an understanding of Venom as an antihero, right? So I didn't need this story to tell me that, but I think going back and, and seeing it. And knowing everything that I know now, it definitely fills in some blanks. And I can definitely see why audiences of that time grew to accept this change. Because I think that they did such a good job of making it work and and selling people on this idea. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Uh, Especially because, you know, um, like you said... They had done such a good job of making Venom such a compelling villain in ASM before that, that the 
fact that they were able to to make us turn a corner with him as a character and make it feel believable, not just for us as readers, but like you said, for Spider-Man as a character to be like, maybe Eddie's not such a bad guy. You know, maybe he is somebody who got dealt a bum hand and made bad decisions, but at the end of the day, he's salvageable. You know, that there yeah. is good left in him. There's light left in him. I also think it's it's interesting because I, I don't believe personally that you can do that with any villain. I don't think no. you can take any villain and just flip the, uh, flip the switch. I think part of the reason why it worked with Venom was because even though he was a monster, he was also kind of cool. And you, you almost want to root for him in a sense. Uh, he's got the cool costume. He's funny. There are parts of him that you like even when he's tormenting Spider-Man. So for them to make that decision, which I think was really smart because uh, I don't think that there was longevity in Venom as a villain only beyond what they had already done because it went on for a while and you can't – You how do you get away from that, you know? Um yeah. If he gets beat too many times, then no one cares. And if he wins, well, then Spider-Man's dead. So you, you have to find a way to break them up. And this was the best way they could have done that. And I think they did a really, really good job. And I think especially the idea of, like, having to make him evolve, you know? Because, like, his whole goal was, I want to kill Spider-Man. And then that changed. And what does that mean for that character, yeah. right? And it, it was a compelling question. And they answered it in a way that was interesting. Yep. That's kind of my role onto you, Pete. I challenge you to evolve as a person. <laughs> I'm here to make you realize when you're wrong about things. Like evolve or devolve? No, Marco. Come on, he evolves. We're not talking about Digimon. Damn. Yeah, well, this isn't a Digimon thing. Come on, I I challenge the, Peter here to evolve as a person. The pr- the problem with that, Phil, is that I'd have to be wrong uh, for that to be the case first, and I- I'll admit when I have garbage takes. Well, wait until have- next week. That, yeah, well, we'll wait. We'll wait and fucking see. All right? <laughs> uh, so We're I here think, for you, I, Peter. We're here to challenge you. <laughs> oh, gross. Wow, dude, never again. <laughs> that was disgusting. Yes. Look, you, you look, Sean left the show. He's done. He <laughs> here I am. Oh, God. So anyway, uh, I think at this point we've touched um, on the story and its characters well enough. And um, I guess I'd like to just kind of take one last opportunity to kind of uh, talk about how the story was written and then get into the art a little bit. And then we'll we'll take it from home uh, or we'll, we'll take it home. Excuse me. Um, I, I think uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me about the writing, and this was kind of my last comment where it comes to the story stuff was – um, one of the most 90s things about this book was there was a lot of, uh, that classic, like, superhero thing of let's explain what's happening. Yes. You know? Diatribe. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Like, it was so funny how often it would be like, oh, you were distracted for just a second long enough for me to get and attack you. It's like, I could just, I could just get that that's what happened. I can look Dave. at the like, page. I, you know? It's a visual medium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there's a couple, or like, uh, I remember there was one moment where they were doing that instead of showing the art, where it was like uh, Spider-Man turned the one robot on the other one, and he was like, "Oh, that was convenient. He's flailing around and ruining the other robot." And then the next scene, they're just destroyed, and it's like, "Oh, we didn't have the budget for that, I guess." <laughs> 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 uh, but at the end of the day, I. I I find that kind of stuff endearing. Yeah, uh, it's, I know it's, it's 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 not good, but it's you know it's it's comic sometimes, man. It, you know, it's 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 a product of its time, and when you appreciate the medium as an art form, you have to take it as it is in most ways, especially when it comes to the archives of older material, and that's certainly what this is. And um, it's not only a product of its era, but it's a product of, product of what comic books were. And you're right. It's endearing. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm with that. If, if, if a 2018 comic did the exact same thing, I'd be pissed. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we understand sort of without even having to think about it, what you're going to experience when you pick up a book from 1993. So it is what it is. Except for Marco. 
well, he doesn't even know what comic books are. Yeah. Um, What's a Venom? Shut up. <laughs> to that point, there's also the very, um, very surface level dialogue throughout. <laughs> yep. Mm. Which mm-hmm. is, again, something that you come to accept when you're reading a 90s comic. Although, I, I, I not all 90s comics are like that. Not all 80s comics are like I'll, that. There's I'll, a lot of very deep ones as a, well. A lot of the 80s and 90s Marvel comics. Yeah, yeah, but I think what's especially funny is that, like, there's a lot of stuff by uh, Michelin that's not like that. Right. Michelini. Uh, whatever, whichever one we decided. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff by David <laughs> that uh, that isn't like that. You know, like, there was a lot of ASM that didn't have that very, like, chunky writing of, like, well, all right, you know, like, like or blue blazes. Like, he definitely had a lot of moments that were very, like... Saturday morning cartoon in this oh, one, and I, I think it's... Or when a woman is rescued, and she's like, Eek, is that Venom? <laughs> yeah. I mean, from from the same era, Craven's Last Hunt, right, is... You're right. One of the best, you know, like, just straight-up superhero stories ever. It's very deep, and, um, and it's not like that at all. So, I don't... But I don't think I don't. I, again, I don't hold it against the book. It's not good, but I don't hold it against the book because you know what to expect. And also, in a in a kind of a weird way, I think I think it kind of helped the book in some senses. I do too. We we were able to pick up what what David was putting down without him needing to wax poetic, and he didn't really have a lot of time to do that because in the six issues that he had, there were so many. Or was it five? Six, 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 yeah. six yeah. Th- there were so many things that were there that <clears throat> it, it, if the book took the time to reflect on what it was doing in a real way, you would have needed a few more issues. Uh, yep. So I really think that the simplistic play worked out. It made it easy to understand what was what was you know what we were supposed to get from this. Um, and yeah, I really didn't have a problem with it ultimately. I I, I do find it sometimes refreshing. Um, because you're right. This would have been an 18 issue story, uh, like story arc with three different arcs, everything fleshed out in those 18 issues. If it was published in 2018, and that's not wrong or bad at all. In fact, that might have been better. But it's kind of refreshing in the context of when this was published, because I I kind of like sometimes when you just gloss over stuff like this for early comics. It, it for something like this, it was really about the action, and that's fine for what it is, and it was fun. Yeah. And it was about the emotional takeaway. Yeah. You know? Like, it it, it, sure. it wasn't about waxing, like, to Sean's point, waxing poetic about the nature of man or, or the duality of Venom. It was just like, we're going to show you this character in a different light. Hopefully you feel good about that. And it works. And I think I think the lightness, the silliness pl- plays. I think it helps make Venom seem less like the Venom that we were used to on the pages of ASM. Yeah. Well, and then, but also, what was what worked for him at that time? This kind of like um, creepy humor that he had uh, now is flipped over, and it's it's not as creepy. It's more just humorous and kind of playful. But you know, he's still a monster, and I, I think that that's interesting as well. How they flipped that, yeah, and how they would play with like him being like. Oh well, you don't need to thank me, ma'am. Your ha- smile's good enough. And then later on, he's like, "Ah, which one of you should I eat your fucking face first? You know, and like right. that's venom. You know, like yeah. You know what I kind of thought when I was reading this? It, it felt like a combination of Deadpool with kind of the humor, not not in the meta way, but just kind of the more humorous aspect mixed with like the Punisher with that kind of lethality. That's, that's sure. That's yeah. I can see that. That's kind of what I got out of it in terms of uh, what Venom was like in this book. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, before Deadpool like was Deadpool, Venom was that kind of character, right? Like he was the antihero. He's quippy. He's done a lot of gross shit that you don't really like. Wouldn't think of as a hero, but at the same breath, he's got that warm, gooey core that makes you root for him. <laughs> you know, and yeah, they're 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 not that dissimilar. We're not so different, you and I. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver! <laughs> oh, that was a good callback. 
I thought it was funny. There was a there was a cover in one of the issues. I think it was for issue six that says something to the effect of Spider Man and Venom have had many great battles before. This might be their best yet. And they literally don't fight. Don't they make a joke about that? Like where it's like, oh, but like it's not with each other or something like that. No, it's, it's, it, right? it says it's not their final battle, but it just might be their greatest. Ah, okay. Okay. The chilling conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's a good cover. Talk about, yeah, yeah, it's a great cover. Talk about selling a book with a cover that has nothing to do with what's inside. <laughs> Which. We accept now in comics because they don't say anything. Like, there are no words on them. Yeah. But this is just straight up lie to you. Like, <laughs> verbal, like with words, with pictures, everything just lie. It's funny because, like, that was kind of a thing in old comics. Like, there are plenty of, like, especially if you go back and look at, like, old school, like, um, comics. Yeah, I was going to say, like, old school, like, Golden, Silver Age, Superman, and Batman comics. There was so often where the cover had nothing to do with what was inside at all. Superman, That's, what are you doing? You have that glass of water, and we're in the desert, and I'm gonna die if I don't drink it. Sorry, Jimmy, it's the only way you'll learn your lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, what the fuck? That has nothing to do with what happened. What's crazy is that I don't know if that was a lie or not. That could have easily been real. That was a cover. (laughs) That's a a real cover. That's 100% a real cover. There you go. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, so speaking of, of the, the cover art, um, we, we touched on the art a little bit already. It's, what, Phil? Okay, I just found the actual cover. It's from Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, and it's Jimmy Olsen and Aquaman in the middle of a desert, and behind Superman <laughs> is uh, a bunch of skeletons. Uh, it's from issue 115, and Jimmy Olsen says, Superman, stop this crazy test. Let us share that water or we'll die. Sorry, Jimmy. The ground rules allow only one of you to survive. You are Aquaman. The ground rules. What? <laughs> I love what, it. Like, what twisted saw version of Superman is this? Fucking jigsaw ass motherfucker. I love it. Only one of my two friends can live. <laughs> oh, and that doesn't happen at all in the book, probably. Yeah. It's- Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, who just sent that? That was me. It's for you guys to look at. Oh, 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 okay. For you YouTube viewers, Phil just sent us the link. <laughs> um, so, yeah, to take it back to the art. Uh, so, I, we touched on this a little bit already. I think, uh, by and large, the art in this book is really good. Um, I think Bagley stuff w- in particular was pretty strong. I think... There are moments where it's a little less consistent when it was Lim and uh, De La Rosa taking over. I remember there's that one issue, I think it's like four, where it opens up with Eddie and they think he's dead and he's just laying on the ground and he looks ridiculous. Um, So there's there's some weird line work once Bagley's off the book, but I think by and large, I I think the art looks really good. I think Venom consistently looks great. Absolutely. Uh, And I think... And Phil's comments about him being, like, this showing why his design is so inspired. Like, he's one of the most visually interesting comic book characters ever. And, like, uh, I I remember, for me, the coolest panel was there's that moment where he's um, crawling on the ceiling and he's drooling and the drool is dripping over his face onto the floor. Yeah. when, when he's in the, uh, what is it, the uh, trees building, and he's, like, trying to go figure out what the, what, like, the park plan is. Like, just all of those moments of him, like, just on doing the espionage stuff, they're just so, uh, the models for him are so great. It's not just that. There, there's the, there's the scene where he's, in t- he's attacked by those guys with the sonic guns or whatever, because this is very much like, you know, it's not even just, like, an early 90s cartoon, it's, like, an early 90s video game where all the villains have, like, your weakness is guns. Fucking laser guns. Yeah. His, so for the listeners that don't know, a symbiote's weaknesses are like fire and sound, and all the villains in this have either some kind of heat ray or that's like a laser or a sound gun, because naturally. Uh, but he recoils from that and like blends in with the bridge. And the art for that looks really cool during that uh, during that conflict. And mm-hmm. the, the actual beginning of issue four is when he gets shot in a laser. And the symbiote turns like sideways on Eddie Brock's head, and it looks yes. it looks very cool. It's a giant splash page. Um, oh yeah, 
it's very visually uh, distinct and cool looking, which is, like I said, I think that's the standout of this book is that the artwork's really good, which is like the defining element of an early 90s Marvel comic. Yeah, and I think um, on, a, on a personal note, like this is my favorite, the Todd McFarlane design for Spider-Man's costume that they use here, that's my favorite one, where it was like the the blue is a little darker and he's got the underarm webs and everything, like... I just I love this aesthetic so much. You know this this period art wise is is like I think probably easily my favorite in terms of historical periods, right? Like I think some of the stuff that's coming out now is like you know it's hard to it's hard to compare, but there there's stuff from that era that I think really does stand head and shoulders above, and um, this is some of it. One of the things that's that always stands out to me about the artists from this period of, of comics is that they just seem like they're having so much fun. And this book looks fun. It looks like fun and it looks like they're having fun. When you see Venom in all these poses and, you know, just kicking ass and doing all this stuff, you know, like it just looks like a blast. And you almost feel like you want to be the artist because it's so cool to be able to do this. Um, there are particular moments in the book where they draw Venom, and he's like, if if he's like far away, they 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 skimp on the um, on the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the like the finer details. Yes, and so he's just that like blue black figure with the eyes and the and the smirk. I love 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 seeing that. Yeah. Because it's, it, I mean, it's almost like a different character, but it just looks so cool. I love it. I and I think it's one, of, it's one of those things that, um, and I was talking about this with a friend of mine in reference to the uh, Spider-Man video game on PS4. I think that's one of the things that works so well about Spider-Man and by extension kind of worked with Venom is that they're characters that have such a distinct look and visual language to the way that they move mm-hmm. that like, you can look at a, a silhouette of Venom and know that it's Venom. Yeah. You know, in the same way that you can do that with Spider-Man. And that's really cool. Uh, and I think the fact that those moments work so well, Sean, is it, it speaks to just how good Venom's design is, you know? Um, and by extension, how good Spider-Man's design is, right? Um, uh, I One thing I really appreciate about early 90s uh, coloring is the accents of blue. Which you don't get a ton mm-hmm. with uh, Venom anymore. Even like something like Rick Remender's yeah. run with Flash Thompson, which was really good. Um, the, it's just the way coloring is a lot different now than it was back then. But I really appreciate the accenting blue. It's the same thing with like Superman's hair from those books back then. It's accented with like a blue. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I really like that because I, I, I like the color palette. Or like when they would do the uh, this the panels where they were like it was like I feel like it's supposed to be signifying like a zoom out and it would just be covered in that light blue, sure, as opposed to being properly colored, you know, like little little things like that that you just don't really see anymore, you know. They're they're artistic traditions that have kind of that just seem old now, you know. And, and it is it's cool to go back and look at stuff like this that just has that feel from a different era when, you know, there are just some of those stylistic choices that I miss. And it's, it's nice to look at art that has that vibe and that aesthetic. Um, I think the only thing that I thought was weird was there were a few moments where I thought the, the coloring of people's faces were weird. Mm -hmm. Um, did you catch that too, Marco? Yeah. I think like towards when, um, after Ron Lim took over pencils, there was definitely like a lightning overall in, on people's, uh, faces and tones um that was something that i noticed like distinctly going from issue to issue even uh starting with like issue four and five like i remember there's there's uh, there's a moment where they do it with eddie and then later it's with his dad where their faces are illuminated and they're just the shading is super weird like it looks like they're under a bright light for no reason yeah 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 like it's washed out yeah, and I remember there being moments like that, too, with, like, even with Spider-Man, where there was a scene where Spider-Man's in the corner of the frame, and there's just a ton of light on his face, so that there's, like, uh, like a light shadow, but, like, you know, like, a illuminating shadow, which whatever the opposite of that is, like, it's, like, the bright effect in Photoshop, you know, yeah, like, yeah. uh, which was just, it was just weird, it, it was a weird kind of inconsistency, which I guess speaks to the fact that the team was shifting across issues, but... That was the one thing with the art that I didn't that I thought was off 
was that when the colors were on, they were fucking great. But there was moments where they colored real people that just looked strange. And I think also uh, just going going back to sort of the the designs and the like that bombastic nature of that of the art, Bailey I think brings it a lot more than Lim. Um, Definitely, especially just looking at. Going from four to five, you know, four ends with uh, like some really big fights with Eddie, and in particular, he gets like flown back. Um, he gets thrown back, and he's just kind of like flying around. But then something similar happens in issue five, and he's just kind of up against the wall, or getting pushed back and stuff. And it's not as uh, it doesn't have that range, I think, and energy um, when you compared it back to sort of Bagley and what he sort of is trying to convey yeah i mean i don't i don't mean this to be like derogatory or dismissive but right I just, way to start I, a sentence. Be, no but <laughs> seriously i i mean this as a compliment to bagley and that's why i'm saying it that way is that like i think bagley is just a kind of a cut above the other the people that took over for him and you know and that's like not intended as a dig it's just i i do think like he is a particularly good artist and when when the hands change, it's not uh, a huge downgrade, but mm-hmm. those inconsistencies aren't present in the issues that he does as right. much. Well, Mark Bagley's a legend for a reason. Yeah, that's all I was trying to say. You know, I, I think it just speaks to his his talent. All right, Pete. All right, fine. You get off. The, you get off this time. But we won't allow it again. Just saying. I know whenever I offer any kind of takes about Spider Man, I'm gonna get picked apart. So I gotta, I gotta put, I gotta put oh, this, please. you know, take it with a grain of salt, you, everybody. You martyr, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fill with with great power comes great responsibility. That's what I've learned. Yeah, of course, you think we all pick on you, Pete? We're all Venom, and you're all just, you know, Pete with his Uncle Ben murdered. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say all of you. Well, I was speaking uh, about me because I'm Venom. <laughs> Oh, all of yeah, all of so, us. okay, yeah, collective you, all of us. <laughs> okay, uh, great, glad we cleared that one up. <laughs> so, um, um, unless anyone has any final thoughts to contribute here, I think that seems like a natural stopping place for this conversation. Oh, you know how many like other what was me comments to make? No, I'll save that for the Venom uh-huh. review. <laughs> uh, this Pete. ruined my fandom. I own this. <laughs> Let me keep this gate. Strong and bold. Yeah, wow. that, that, yeah, that sounds like me, Phil. Yeah, I got you pretty good. <laughs> well, uh, to pivot away from that idiocy, huh? Um, right. I instead want to say that this was uh, a pleasure uh, to read because, I, for me personally as a fan, it fills in a blank that I probably shouldn't even ha- even have had. But uh, now I own the book and I've read it and I enjoyed it for what it is. Um, and I recommend it because the Venom movie is definitely pulling from this. We know the Life Foundation's in it. it takes place in San Francisco. Uh, obviously, this is the movie is the origin of Venom. This is not, so that's weird. But um, if you want more context, I think this book does provide that. And if you enjoy comics from that era, then there's no definitely no reason to skip this one. I think it was a for me a good introduction because I got to see him sort of just kick ass and that's cool and I didn't need that sort of introduction to I didn't I didn't get that origin story and I don't think I needed it um because of just how venom permeates in culture uh, and is so closely associated to to Spider-Man that you don't need the the context around him to be thrown into a story with him and like they tell you it yeah, they they do, and but it, it I don't think it's necessary to enjoy it. Um, we liked it. We liked Venom quite a bit. Uh, we want to see more Venom, so that's why we're excited about seeing the Venom movie, which will also have Woody Harrelson as Carnage. So, like, if you want more <laughs> good symbiote goodness, you'll have that. Carnage is the other. He's like the A two symbiote. You know what I'm saying? You know what we're saying? Um, uh, uh, how I would rate it as a buy. So that you should go pick it up. It's only six issues. It's a piece of, uh, it's a staple of '90s comics. It's a staple of Spider-Man comics. It's a staple of, of, of I think it's a staple of Marvel comics, honestly, because Venom is probably a borderline A-lister, and maybe he's a B-lister. He's up there though. Um, he was definitely an A-lister in the '90s, though. Uh, everyone knew who Venom was in the '90s, and yeah, 
Um, it's a fun read. It's it's action packed. It feels like an eighties action movie in a lot of ways. I always enjoyed the Eddie Brock Venom relationship, and I think I think this is worth a buy. It's probably not that expensive. You could probably get the trade for like fifteen dollars, and uh, that's cheap for a Marvel trade. So pick it up. Yeah, I uh, I, I agree. I, I think this was a really fun walk down memory lane for me. This was a really uh, formative book in my teen years when I was getting into comics proper and exploring the history of Spider-Man, who was my favorite character. And um, and and I, I like this book a lot. I think um, it's certainly not above uh, reproach. It's certainly not um, perfect. But for what it is, I think it's really good. And I think it has a lot of personality. And it's a really fun book. And if you're in the mood for a nice, fun popcorn comic... Uh, and you like Venom, you like Spider-Man, this is a great read. And, and it's, it's, um, I think, I think, uh, the sentiment that we've all expressed here that I love it for what it is, is a perfect review of it. Is that if you don't like 90s comics, if you don't like Venom, if you don't like Spider-Man, this is nothing revelatory. This isn't going to change your mind. But if you have a soft spot for those books, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the character, if you're interested in, you know, experiencing a bit of comic book history, um, I think this is a gap worth filling. And uh, I'm, I, I had a great time revisiting it with you guys. And uh, hopefully you listeners out there enjoyed rereading it or reading it for the first time along with us. And uh, you, you know, hopefully you'll let us know what you thought about the book. And remember, if you want to let us know what you thought about uh, Venom Lethal Protector, you can hit us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Get us in the comments down below and let us know what you thought about the book. Or um, hit us up on Twitter, you know, at thecomicspals, any of that stuff. And uh, also, make sure you let us know what book you'd like to see us do on a future episode of this book club. Uh, we're back doing these every month. I know we missed one, so four kids and Venom were real close together. But we're back on our, uh, you know, every 30 days uh, shtick. So yeah, let us let us know what book you'd like to see us do on a future episode of the Comics Pals Book Club. We're going to be doing these, uh, we're back on our monthly schedule. I know we had four kids and Venom kind of right on top of each other because we missed one there, but we're back. Um, we currently have an open spot for next month <laughs> uh, because we were supposed to be doing the Dark Phoenix Saga, but uh, a certain movie was delayed. So if you've got a suggestion for what you'd like us to jump in with, uh, maybe we'll do that Howard the Duck Book Club that the Longbox uh, Boys oh, asked for. <laughs> no, we won't. You want to pay us money, we'll do it. <laughs> I'd do it. I'm just saying I'd do it. But anyway, uh, let us know. Uh, and as always, we really appreciate your support. And um, you know, if, if this is your first time tuning in, please go check out the Comics Files proper. Uh, the you know uh, our group here, along with our buddy Kale, we do a uh, weekly comic book show where we talk about news and uh, you know the industry and all that stuff. We just celebrated our 100th episode, and it was a doozy. So make sure you go check that out. And, uh, you know, as always, like the video, subscribe to the channel if you're on YouTube, uh, click that notification bell so you know when these monthly book clubs go live, as well as well as our weekly podcast, which are finally back on YouTube. Uh, and if you're an audio listener, give us a like on your platform of choice, and make sure you subscribe. Keep up with all the stuff we're doing here, and, uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us. We'll catch you next month on another episode of the Comics Pals Book Club. Take care, guys.